0: This morning, congregation, in your Bibles, we would direct your attention to Romans chapter 3. We'll be reading from verse 21 through 31. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that section of Scripture on page 1296. After we read from the Bible, we'll also be reading from our Belgic Confession, and you can find that in the Forms and Prayers book in the Pew Rack. And the article that we'll be reading, Article 22, is found on page 175. So we read from the Word of God, Romans 3, 21-31, and then the Belgic Confession, Article 22. So here now the reading of the Word of God. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law? Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God we then turn to Article 22 of the Belgian Confession. It's given a title, The Righteousness of Faith. And it states that we believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits and makes him its own and no longer looks for anything apart from him. For it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or, if all is in Him, then he who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough, but that something else is needed as well, is a most enormous blasphemy against God. For it then would follow that Jesus Christ is only half a Savior. And therefore, we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone, or by faith apart from works. However, we do not mean, properly speaking, that it is faith itself that justifies us, for faith is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. But Jesus Christ is our righteousness, crediting to us all his merits and all the holy works he has done for us and in our place. And faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with him and with all his benefits. When those benefits are made ours, they are more than enough to absolve us of all our sins. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, justified by faith. Uh, I trust that many of us are well familiar with that phrase, justified by faith, and I trust also that we as a church that is steeped in Reformed theology and that appreciates the heritage of the Protestant Reformation, I trust that we know that this is a very important phrase. It has been said by the Reformers that this article or this belief that we are justified or that we are made right with God through faith alone is the pillar upon which the church stands or falls. Justification by faith is uh, the hinge, John Calvin said, upon which the door of salvation swings. And so certainly uh, we need to have a proper biblical and also a robust mature understanding uh, of this truth or this doctrine of justification by faith. Because it's very clear in Scripture uh, that the Christian is to walk by faith, is to live by faith, and also then is to die in the faith. So, not to be overly morbid, but think about the reality that unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns while we are still living, all of us will have a deathbed. And especially there on our deathbed, how essential and how important, how vital it will be to know that we are justified by faith. Everything else will pale in comparison to that. To know for the peace of my own soul and for the glory of my God that I am right with God through this instrument, through this activity of faith. Well, in order to prepare us for such a moment, but also to enable us to live our life with comfort uh, and also then that we might glorify the Lord our God, we want to consider this morning uh, this exercise of faith underneath this theme, our belief concerning true faith. Uh, a lot could be said and a lot should be said uh, in a variety of contexts about faith. So don't think that we're going to exhaust everything that can be said about faith from the Holy Scriptures. We're going to limit ourselves to, first of all, considering the source of true faith, or you might say, where does this faith come from? And then, secondly, we'll consider the activity of true faith. What does faith do? And then, thirdly, the benefit of true faith. Uh, what is the profit? for faith so we consider this morning our belief concerning true faith first of all the source secondly the activity and then thirdly the benefit uh, of true faith Now, i just want to draw your attention specifically to what is stated in the uh, belgian confession article 22 it states there in the beginning we believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery what exactly is that great mystery Uh, The great mystery refers to what has preceded in the Belgian Confession, especially the person of Jesus Christ uh, and the work of Jesus Christ, and including his two natures that we have considered in past weeks, his divine nature and his human nature, and the union of those two natures in one person, and also then his states or his steps of humiliation and exaltation, you might say it focuses especially upon what took place in his atoning sacrificial death. You can think of what the Apostle Paul writes. A great is the mystery of godliness. And then God is manifested in the flesh. So this great mystery is not some type of Gnostic uh, sort of secret that no one else knows. This great mystery is who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and for our salvation. Now in order to acquire, to come to a saving knowledge of that, who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, the Holy Spirit must produce faith within our hearts. Well, why? You'll notice underneath the source of true faith, if you're following along in the outline, we've put this subpoint true faith is created by the Holy Spirit, and that's necessary for this faith to be created by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, given humanity's sinful nature. And now our world, especially in Western culture, we like to boast about all that humanity is able to accomplish, but there is one thing especially that humanity can never accomplish in and of itself, and that is the creation of faith. You and I, by ourselves, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, can never come to true faith. And as a parent, we can never, by ourselves, create true faith in our children. And I as a minister, I mean, I could stand up here and I could preach the most powerful sermon with all of the proper pulpiteering, but I cannot produce by myself true faith in anyone because we are by nature, given our fall through Adam, dead in our sins and in our trespasses as the apostle paul clearly states especially in ephesians chapter 2 and you being dead now thanks be to god that that passage goes on and it speaks about being made alive being made alive by the work of the holy spirit but we need to understand the severity of our fall the holy spirit must and thankfully does produce this faith because by nature all of us are unable but also unwilling to believe. And every single human person is unable and unwilling to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. And so this points out the necessity of what Jesus Christ calls in John 3, verse 3, the new birth, or being born from above. Theologically, we often refer to this as regeneration. Uh, and we ought to just kind of, check ourselves as a congregation, and this would be good especially for those who are in a position of leadership or in a position of teaching within the midst of the congregation. How familiar are we with not just this word regeneration, but but with the truth that is communicated by the word regeneration? Uh, Are we aware that what our baptism form says uh, in, in the older baptism form that our children also are conceived and born in sin and subject to all manner of misery, yes, even to condemnation itself, unless they are born again. Now, what exactly do we mean by that being born again or being born from above or being regenerated? Well, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of only the Holy Spirit. And that brings us into our second sub-point, that true faith is created in the human soul uh, or the, the heart of a person. Now, Boys and girls, when we speak uh, about the heart or the soul of a person, we're not referring to that organ that, that beats and sends blood all throughout our body. We're referring to our spiritual heart or our spiritual soul, which we all have, but because it's spiritual, not material, you can't see it. So you can't go to the hospital and you can't have an x-ray or you can't have some other type of test or medical imagery and, and, and see your soul, but all of us have one. Now there's an importance to what we call biblical anthropology, to understanding who we are according to the insight that we see from Scripture. So all of us have a body and we have a soul. Uh, and true faith is created by the holy spirit within the soul and and what the holy spirit does when he regenerates a person or or when a person experiences this new birth or this birth from above is that the holy spirit comes upon the human soul and dwells within the human soul and if we may use the word he remanufactures all of the elements of the human soul uh, the mind the will and the affections uh, now, some of you uh, are very, very gifted mechanically, and so perhaps you know what it is to remanufacture something, to rebuild something, and so perhaps uh, you're a diesel mechanic, uh, and uh, a customer calls and says, well, I have this engine, but it's seized up. It won't even turn over. Everything's locked up in place because of perhaps uh, a lack of use or perhaps because of abuse, So all of the parts are still there in the engine. It has the pistons and the rings and the crankshaft and the the head and all of the fuel injectors are there, but it doesn't work. It's locked up and it's seized up. That's a faint analogy of what the human soul is like by sin, by our fallen condition. All of the parts are still there. Fallen man still has a mind, still has a will, still has affections, but they're seized up because of the impact of sin so that they don't work properly. Well, the Holy Spirit then remanufactures the soul. And by his mysterious work within the soul through the gift of regeneration, he takes the life that Jesus Christ has obtained and he applies that to the soul, rebuilding the soul. So that the mind now has the capacity to know truly. And the will now has the ability uh, to will that which is good. Not in and of itself, but because the Holy Spirit is there, remanufacturing the soul. And now the Holy Spirit does not only create the capacity for faith, but the Holy Spirit also makes the activity of faith. And here's where our analogy of the diesel mechanic falls short, because the diesel mechanic doesn't actually make the engine run. So think of the Holy Spirit not only as the master mechanic upon the soul of the fallen individual, liberating it, giving it a renewed capacity to operate, but the Holy Spirit is also the fuel, you might say, that that energizes the soul so that the soul of a Christian actually believes, has a true knowledge, and has a, a, a confidence and a trust in the gospel promise Of the lord jesus christ and the holy spirit works this immediately uh, with the word of god so we understand as we transition away from our first point to our second point this basic truth faith is not something that we muster within ourselves but rather faith both in the original capacity to believe and also in the ongoing exercise or activity to believe is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now that ought to give us a couple points of application. First of all, let us be careful careful that we never overestimate our own ability. Let us never overestimate our own ability to the point where we think that we, by ourselves, have the capacity to believe. We are continually dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. In connection to that, a second point of application, if we understand that the Spirit uses the Word as an instrument, as a means, then we're also revealed the necessity of emphasizing the Word. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 tells us, and hearing of the Word of God. So you and I, at this point, we ought to be reminded, we need to live by faith, and we need to die in the faith but we cannot produce that faith in and of ourselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit primarily uses the Word as that Word is proclaimed. And so the Word proclaimed is the life-giving source of our spiritual activity. So you and I need the Spirit, and you and I need the Word. And that's important as we consider Our second point, the activity of true faith. What does true faith actually do in its activity? A true faith is not passive. True faith is active. Uh, We would say two things this morning about the activity of true faith. First of all, it is the activity of an instrument. And then secondly, it is an activity of what we call appropriation. Faith is an instrument. And and I want to be clear here and try to take this apart as clearly as we can because of the importance of this, but if you are taking notes, I would at some point in your notes just write, faith is an instrument. Now, our Belgian Confession is clear that when we say we are saved by faith, it's not as if God looks down upon us and sees that we are those who exercise faith and therefore says, because that person exercised faith, On the ground or on the basis of their faith, I will declare them righteous. We are declared righteous. We are justified on on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. Not on the basis of our faith, but we receive the work of Jesus Christ and the benefits of that work. Through faith, that's what we mean that faith is an instrument. It is not It is not the meritorious ground. And we'll come in just a moment to a pastoral application on that point. But faith as an instrument unites or establishes this relationship, this bond between the Christian and Jesus Christ. So what faith does is is that as the Holy Spirit works faith within our heart, within our soul, you might, if you can follow the, uh, the analogy, uh, the spiritual hand of the soul that the Holy Spirit has created and also activates, reaches out and lays hold of Jesus Christ, his person and his work. And by laying hold of Jesus Christ with a saving knowledge and with a saving trust, All of the merits, all of the benefits, all of the credits, you might say, of Jesus Christ are then transmitted, imputed, transferred into the Christian. And and so you can think, uh, and this most powerfully was uh, illustrated to me uh, when when I would read through uh, that remarkable healing uh, of the woman who had an issue of blood that no doctor could cure. Perhaps you remember... Uh, her. She had spent all that she had. She had exhausted her financial resources going from doctor to doctor, attempting to somehow bring about a healing that symbolically would have left her perpetually unclean. But all of the medical community, uh, their activities were futile. And then she heard about Jesus Christ. A- and she said to herself, and this you see is the activity of faith she said to herself, If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So she had a true saving knowledge. She knew who Jesus Christ was. And she also then reached out the hand. Now, in her case, of course, given the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, it was a physical hand actually reaching out. And so remember, she came through the, the multitudes that were pressing around Jesus. Uh, and, and she tried to do it in secret. No doubt she was a woman who had long been associated with guilt and shame given her condition. But she reached out her hand, saying to herself in the activity of faith, if I may but touch the hem of his garment. And the moment she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, she was immediately made whole. Not because God looked down and said, oh, what a wonderful woman this is. Look at upon her exercise of faith. Because of the ground of her faith, I will therefore grant her this cleansing. No, but because she was united to Jesus Christ. And you remember also that Christ stopped. And he said, who touched me? And then she was drawn forth to bring this profession of faith. But that just illustrates the activity of faith as an instrument. The point of pastoral application uh, is this. Faith, in its exercise, waxes and wanes in its strength. Now, waxes and wanes, maybe that's a bit of archaic language. Sometimes our exercise of faith is much stronger than other times. I believe that if we're a mature Christian, and if we honestly reflect, we will have to agree with that statement. But even if we don't agree with that statement, we make that statement upon the testimony of Scripture. You can think of, for example, Peter. Sometimes his faith was very, very strong. Perhaps you might say too strong in that he kind of boasted in his own self-reliance. Other times the, the faith of Peter was rather weak. And you can think also of Thomas. And example after example uh, could be brought forward uh, of the individual Christians who at times their faith was very, very strong and at other times and sometimes soon after it grows very, very weak. You can think of Elijah standing on on Carmel slaying all of the prophets of Baal. One against 400, one against really a nation. There he stood. His faith was very, very strong as he called down fire from heaven. And then Jezebel speaks, and then Elijah Elijah runs. And I say this because this is a point of pastoral application, because at times God's people can be troubled because of the weakness of their faith. But sometimes the trouble is because we think that God receives us based upon the strength of our faith, but that's not correct. God receives us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And even the weakest exercise of true saving faith is sufficient to receive the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so the Christian can indeed at times throughout his or her life, and maybe even at times when they're sorely distressed because of circumstances or because of their own lack of health, even perhaps when we come Uh, to lie upon our deathbed, and we might feel within ourselves that our faith is rather weak, maybe even very weak. We can say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Because even the weakest exercise of true saving faith is sufficient to receive the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, I know in addition to mechanics, there's also some in the congregation, and my apologies that these illustrations seem kind of male Orientated. Uh, I just ought to pay more attention to uh, what females do in uh, various aspects of life. But you think perhaps of a construction job site and an extension cord. And sometimes you'll have it where the connection isn't quite uh, favorable. You know, the extension cord has a short in it. And and so your, your power saw doesn't run properly because there's a short in the extension cord. That's not the way it is with true saving faith. Even if the connection is weak because of our own infirmities, all of the benefits of Christ are received. And doesn't our form for the Lord's Supper recognize again the, not only the possibility but the commonality of weak faith? We do not come to the table of the Lord to testify thereby that we have perfect faith. I've known individuals who have struggled before the reception of the Lord's Supper, because they weren't sure that their faith was healthy enough to receive the Lord's Supper. Humbly, I say, that's a misunderstanding of the way faith works. We don't come to the Lord's Supper to testify that we have perfect faith. If we had perfect faith, we wouldn't need the Lord's Supper. We come in the Lord's Supper testifying, yes, that we have true faith, but that it is often weak. And our gracious Father condescends down to the weakness of our faith, and he gives us those visible signs and seals to testify so that our weak faith might be strengthened. So do not despair if you find that your faith is weak, if it is true faith. Well, what is true faith? Well, that brings us into the 2nd subpoint. Uh, true faith has this activity, it appropriates. And there again, we, perhaps we've chosen an overly theological word. Appropriation just means to take for oneself. True faith, and you notice this is the way uh, that our Belgic Confession describes it, true faith embraces, embraces, holds on. Now when you think, and perhaps here's an analogy uh, for the fairer gender in our midst, when you think of uh, a diamond ring being given at an engagement or at a a wedding ceremony, a diamond ring, uh, the diamond has all the value in that ring. Uh, There might be some value in in the gold band, but for the most part, the diamond is what has the color clarity and a few other C's. I forget them off the top of my head. But a jeweler also knows the importance of the prongs that hold the diamond. Uh, And and so the the young bride who receives uh, this beautiful diamond ring will often be instructed by the jeweler, well, make sure you come in periodically uh, and you have your diamond ring checked by the jeweler. And he'll put on, uh, you know, that, uh, that eyeglass set that he has with uh, the uh, microscopic uh, lens so that he can look very carefully at the diamond and he will inspect the prongs. You might say, well, the prongs don't have any value. Oh, but they do have value in their function and that they are what holds on to the diamond, And the analogy is this, the diamond, of course, is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, and the work of Jesus Christ. The prong is the exercise of faith. And the value of faith is that it embraces or it clings or it grasps in a spiritual activity to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that also points out the importance of acknowledging that true faith finds all that it needs in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You you would never imagine asking the prong of a diamond ring to do double duty. That prong has one object upon which it holds, the diamond. And I know the analogy, you know, it, it sounds silly, but you would never hang anything else off of that prong. You would never ask that prong to hold on to the diamond and your car keys. and The prong would say, if it could speak, no, my exclusive function is to grasp this diamond. And so also true faith, especially as true faith matures, true faith sees the beauty of Christ, sees the fullness of Christ, sees the sufficiency of Christ. And true faith then says, I- I'm not going to hold on to anything else. Because I have all that I need, all that I could ever want in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So true faith doesn't say I'm going to hold on to Jesus Christ and something else. And so a point of reflection uh, by way of application. Does your soul find all that it needs in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Now certainly we understand that for our earthly life we have other needs. Our Lord taught us to pray for our daily bread. But when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our acceptance with God, does your soul say, in Christ I have everything. Absolutely everything. Never saying in Christ and this or that. But just simply in Christ. I have everything in who he is and in what he has done. Well, that transitions us into our third point, the benefit of true faith. And here we'll be brief because future weeks will continue to unfold this more in depth as we begin to look specifically at justification. Uh, but the benefit of true faith brings about an imputed righteousness. Uh, imputed is different than infused. Imputed uh, is a credit a transfer from one's legal account, so to speak, into another's legal account. And when true faith embraces the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the benefits of Christ are then credited into that person's legal account before the standing of the Father in his tribunal judging activity. And so the way our confession puts this, Uh, speaks about uh, what the Apostle Paul is referring to uh, when it speaks in Romans 3 about being justified by faith. Uh, So our confession elaborates and it says that when there is this exercise of faith, there is the crediting to us all his merits. All of his merits are credited into the sinner's account just simply because the sinner embraces Jesus Christ by this holy activity of true faith and all the holy works that he has done for us and in our place. And we've said this in weeks gone past, but we'll continue to say it in weeks that lie ahead, and we say it again this morning. This is the double imputation. And we don't preach about these things just so that we can get all of our theological T's crossed and I's dotted, that we can then walk around town and say, Aha, we are the people who understand double imputation. We say these things so that our souls might have rest. And that having rest we might then come and glorify our great God for the works that he has done. Because imagine for a moment uh, a bankrupt person. A bankrupt person with an infinite amount that is owed. And now someone graciously comes and says I will take all of that debt upon myself in your place. And not only that, I will take all of that debt upon myself, but I will also transfer into your account an infinite amount so that in a mere moment, based upon nothing that the person did, their financial status goes from infinitely bankrupt to infinitely wealthy. Can you imagine the gratitude that such a person ought to have? That is what has happened for the Christian not in relationship to material goods that moth and rust will destroy, but in relationship to righteousness. You and I, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to acknowledge that we have sinned, and that indeed is the testimony of Scripture, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who of us would dare raise our hand this morning and say, yes, we have kept all of the commandments of God perfectly this week? If we would raise our hand... Uh, John would come and say, you are a liar. None of us have kept the commandments of God perfectly. We have violated all of them. Well, what is our hope? Not that I've kept the commandments perfectly, but that Jesus Christ has kept the commandments perfectly in my stead. And not only that, he has taken all of the guilt that is upon me for the violations of the holy commandments, and he has taken them upon himself, and he has dealt with them once and for all definitively upon the cross, so that there is this declaration of justification. Of an alien righteousness, there is the legal judicial declaration that is irrevocable. And so the words of Romans 8 verse 1 ought to ring in the ears of our soul, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How how is a person in Christ Jesus? By faith. That's the only way to be in Christ Jesus. To have that union, to have that relationship between yourself and Jesus Christ through the activity of faith. And that's why also again this morning, we we issue a pastoral call, an earnest call, and you will remember the text that assured us pardon. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes. Whosoever believes. May I humbly ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God and also fully man? And that he bore upon Himself the sins of the world when He suffered and died on the cross and that He has been raised from the dead? You believe that He is the one and only mediator? You put all of your trust in Him, all of your hope in Him, all of your confidence in Him and what He has done? If not, I call you to do so. If you do so, I remind you that you are not condemned. You will never be condemned. You are justified. You are righteous. God has already spoken concerning you. There is now therefore no condemnation. Because of the activity of faith, but ultimately because of the work of Jesus Christ. May that comfort our souls in life, and may that also comfort our souls in death. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonder of the Christian gospel, for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you also for the sovereignty, even in the application of salvation, that it is not our task to, so to speak, stir ourselves up, uh, but that the Holy Spirit uh, works within our hearts a true faith. And we pray, Lord, that even through this morning's activities, our faith might be stirred up, that we might embrace Jesus Christ all the days of our lives. We ask this in his name. Amen.